0: Good morning everyone and thank you for joining us uh, for this discussion this morning. I'm Peter Faum, Director of the Africa Center here at the Atlantic Council. We're delighted to be partnering with our friends from the International Republican Institute, uh, who I'll introduce voluntarily to host this event to discuss uh, Tanzania's recent elections, uh, both some of the uh, work that was done beforehand and uh, some of the results afterwards. Uh, I'm delighted to be, joined today by Ambassador Mark Green, the President of IRI, former U.S. Ambassador to Tanzania, and before that, a four-term congressman from the great state of Wisconsin, uh, and during his term and time in Congress, uh, responsible for helping shepherd through two of the signature programs attacking Africa uh, through, in the Bush administration, the Millennium Challenge, corporation as well as uh, the President's Emergency Program for AIDS Relief, so delighted to be with Mark uh, here on the stage. And then we have Gretchen Merkel, the Africa uh, Regional Director at IRI. Uh, Gretchen comes uh, uh, to the Africa portfolio from uh, having worked at IRI in the Women's uh, Empowerment Network as well as uh, Country Director in Afghanistan. We're also joined, uh, unfortunately, I guess, due to technical difficulties, not via video, but certainly via uh, the voice coming out of the sky, so to speak, uh, teleconference, Wenceslas Mushi, the chief sub-editor of uh, one uh, one of the major media in uh, 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 Tanzania, The Guardian, having uh, previously had a long and distinguished career at the government, uh, Daily News, in in Tanzania where he started more than three decades ago and he'll be joining us momentarily. Uh, Very delighted and uh, honored that the new ambassador of the United Republic of Tanzania is joining us uh, here for this discussion. Mr. Ambassador, welcome not only to the Atlantic Council but to Washington as well. Uh, As you begin your mission, we had a great relationship with your distinguished predecessor, uh, Ambassador Mula Mula, Who's now the permanent secretary of your foreign ministry? And so we look forward to a relationship with you. Thank you to everyone else who is here, many people with great experience of Tanzania as well. And we we'll want to make this interactive. So without further ado, let me turn it over to Mark.
1: Great. Thank you, Peter. And thanks to the Atlantic Council for hosting this event and to all of you for coming out here. As Peter mentioned, I had the honor of serving as ambassador to Tanzania middle of 2007 through the first part of 2009. I was there for President Bush's uh, historic visit to Tanzania. I was there for the Sullivan Summit, uh, first time ever in East Africa. On a sadder note, I was there for the 10th anniversary of the Embassy bombing in Tanzania. Tanzania, as you can tell, is very close to my heart. I visited there a number of times since I left Post. Most recently, in August of this year, Uh, when, on behalf of the International Republican Institute, I presented the results of a poll that we had performed on Zanzibar, and I'll talk about that briefly. This morning, I will touch briefly on the state of democracy in Tanzania, as I see it, Uh, a little bit on uh, the challenges facing Tanzania, as suggested by the polling that we've done, and some of the early signs, I think, uh, since Election Day. First, what is the state of play for democracy in Tanzania? Uh, I'll answer it this way. I, I'm often asked uh, when it comes to African economics to characterize various countries, you know, whether or not they're capital, capitalist or, or what sort of economic policy they have. And I usually answer by saying, well, they were socialist. They say they're capitalist. In fact, they're probably populist or they're capitalist on good days. They're capitalists when everything is going smoothly. And In a lot of ways, I see parallels with Tanzania's democracy. In its early years, it was a single-party system. Since 1995, it has claimed to be a multi-party democracy. Uh, probably, in fact, it is a multi-party democracy on good days on days when the CCM, the majority party, the ruling party, has been able to maintain a stronghold on power, and the opposition is permitted to, to yell a little bit, to stand its feet a little bit, but doesn't really have the keys to power. I think the October elections have very much challenged all of that. As we all know, these elections were the most competitive elections in Tanzania's history. And uh, while the CCM on the mainland was a heavy favorite, they were not a prohibitive favor. It was very much an election that was in doubt for a long time. On Zanzibar, where, they, where there have been several elections in recent years where CCM won uncertain victories, these elections, I think, were a true test of the country's dedication to multi-party democracy. So a multi-party democracy on good days. And I think 2015, in many ways, so far, we're not quite sure if they're good days for Tanzanian democracy. Uh, For the Union government, uh, President Magafuli won a comfortable victory, not a runaway victory, but one with the kind of margin that I think creates real hope for true competitive elections in the years that are coming. The elections were largely peaceful, largely transparent but with one quite notable and unfortunate exception. as many of you know, right after the elections there was a raid on security by security forces on the election uh, on election observation group offices as well as a human rights group for alleged violations of the cyber uh, cybercrime Act. The entire international community has expressed deep concern of this, Uh, how this law is being used potentially to restrict freedom of expression. I think it is disturbing. Uh, I think it is anti-democratic. On Zanzibar, of course, as we'll hear more about shortly, the chair of the Zanzibar Election Commission nullified the results of the elections as the votes were being counted. Even though international observers from a wide range of missions had said that the elections were proceeding peacefully, and orderly. The U.S. Embassy has said that it is gravely concerned uh, and has called for the nullification, which the Zanzibar Election Commission had done, has called for the nullification to be recalled. And I strongly support the position of the U.S. Embassy. Uh, how both sets of these uh, developments, these anti democratic developments, are dealt with in coming days the arrests, and the nullification, I think will determine uh, whether or not uh, Tanzania is merely a democracy on good days. On top of the foregoing challenges that I've mentioned, I think Tanzania is clearly at a crossroads in a number of important ways. And those ways are reflected in the poll that I referred to earlier. Uh, IRI did a relatively modest-sized poll on Zanzibar, Uh, earlier this year in the summer, and some of the takeaways that we had from that poll I think uh, point to some of the important challenges that the country, not just Zanzibar, but the union government will face. Number one, uh, according to our poll, 95% of Zanzibaris say that youth unemployment is a very serious problem for the country. And this is a problem that the government clearly recognizes. This is a difficult challenge. Remember that the median age of a Tanzanian is 17. And statistically, that number is actually going to get lower in the next several years. So you see a tremendous youth bulge that is rolling across Tanzania. And the ability to provide the kind of meaningful economic opportunities for young people uh, in many ways, will determine the country's course for some time to come. The second takeaway that I would point to, fifty two percent of Zanzibaris say that corruption is getting worse in Tanzania. And Peter had made reference to some of my early involvement with the Millennium Challenge Corporation. I actually currently sit on the board of directors of the MCC. And corruption is a challenge for Tanzania. Corruption is a challenge for many countries. But one that is, uh, I think, uh, of great concern. On the positive side, Tanzania has passed the corruption hard hurdle that is at the heart of the Millennium Challenge Corporation. And we hope that's a positive sign for the government's willingness to take on corruption in the years ahead. And the third takeaway, 55 percent of Zanzibaris believe that politicians, again this is across the country, all parties, all, all uh, age groups, don't listen to the needs and ideas of women. And it's a basic tenet that no country can be truly a representative democracy if it's not listening to more than half of its citizens. And no country can be I think successful given the wide range of challenges that we see in the modern world if it isn't tapping into all of its people, men and women, to provide the kind of leadership that is necessary to meet those challenges. Now, how the government takes on the challenges that I've referenced I think will be crucial in these coming years. I think some of the early signs from the new president are encouraging. Uh, President Magufuli just uh, a matter of days ago did a snap election at a government hospital and uh, showed up unannounced and went through the hospital wards. And where he saw clear signs of mismanagement, he took action immediately. He sacked the director of the hospital and I think laid down a very clear marker that he expects performance of duties and he expects delivery of results. Secondly, the president has also announced a ban on foreign travel by government officials, not just to save money, but to make sure that government officials focus first and foremost at home where their duties lie. I think these kinds of actions offer tremendous potential. They are certainly encouraging signs uh, that we're going to see leadership in the new government that takes on these challenges, that meets these challenges, and helps uh, Tanzania to realize its potential. Uh, I think also uh, what we should all look at as Tanzanian democracy continues to move forward is how uh, the new constitution is handled. As many of you are aware, there is a referendum not yet scheduled, I don't believe, but, but approaching which will uh, take up a new constitution for Tanzania that process of reaching out and educating voters, educating citizens, uh, any major constitutional reform is obviously a complicated and challenging uh, issue. And I think uh, how the government reaches out and informs voters of what's in the Constitution and what it means in practical terms is clearly important. And I think that will define uh, the state of democracy in many ways. You know, in summary, when you look at Tanzania, you see a country of fantastic potential. With respect to the 20 indicators that the Millennium Challenge Corporation uses to evaluate a country's commitment to some of the principles that we all believe are important for prosperity and economic development, Tanzania passes 16 of 20. It is one of the higher performing countries on the continent. And that is, I think, indicative of what can be accomplished, what can be achieved in Tanzania, and I think as we take a look at this recent chapter with the elections, how these issues are resolved, so, uh, and again I agree with the position of the U.S. Embassy, how the outcome of the presidential election on Zanzibar is resolved, I think is crucial. Uh, and is a real sign of whether or not there will be competitive elections and competitive democracy. And then secondly, uh, how the government, uh, the union government, handles the issue of addressing the crackdown that we saw using the Cyber Crimes Act uh, on civil society, how that crackdown is addressed. Obviously, all of us here believe that freedom of association, freedom of expression, freedom of speech are fundamentally important to a vibrant, multi-party democracy. And uh, Tanzania has long been a country known for its strong support of these liberties. Hopefully, what we saw is an aberration. uh, It needs to be addressed, uh, like the uh, observers Uh, From the international community, Uh, I myself am greatly concerned, but hopeful that these matters will be addressed in coming days. Again, a country of tremendous potential, but this is one of those moments where I think important decisions need to be made, and how those decisions are made will very much affect how we all view the state of democracy. Gretchen.
2: Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Peter. I'm very happy to be here with you today to talk about our gender assessment of the recent Tanzanian elections. As Mark referenced, our summer survey in Zanzibar showed great concern about the level of women's participation in the electoral process. I would offer that the October 25 elections showed some real signs of progress and some areas of hope, and I'll discuss that in a moment. We start, of course, with the premise that the full participation of women in the political process is vitally important for the health of any democracy. When women participate in elections, when they are part of governing bodies, there's greater representation of all the population, and a democratic system is strengthened. We're all very aware of the challenges to women in politics around the world, particularly in Africa. We know some of the challenges in Tanzania. And we know that there is a dearth of information around some of these challenges. IRI decided to undertake this assessment to address those gaps in information gathering and then hopefully to offer some recommendations to various stakeholders in Tanzania on how to improve, uh, improve these challenges. Our report is divided into two parts and I believe an executive summary was passed out. We have a section of main findings and we have a section of recommendations. I'll touch briefly on um, some of our main findings and then on a few of our recommendations. The main finding sections include social and cultural attitudes, the legal framework, access to information, freedom to campaign, access to media, and freedom to participate. I'd like to highlight a bit about the legal framework. Of course, we are aware that Tanzania has a gender quota. And this allows for 30% representation in Parliament. In fact, in Zanzibar, it's even higher, with 40% representation in their Parliament. The positive results of the quota system have been obvious over the past three elections. After the 2010 elections, women represented 36% of parliamentarians, or 126 out of 350 seats which is up from 30% in 2005. We're finalizing numbers now. We're hearing some of the information come in from the NEC now. Uh, Currently, it stands at 27 elected women to the mainland parliament, including 110 special seats. So a total of 137 seats for women in the parliament. So we're seeing incremental progress there, which is great news. But there's serious challenges that exist with the the gender quota process and this is not unique to Tanzania. One challenge is the fact that there are these uh, two systems to become a member of parliament if you're a woman. You can either be directly elected or you can be nominated for a special seat. And this certainly skews the incentives of political parties to field only women candidates for their nominated seats with the mistaken impression that men will be more competitive for the direct elected seats. It also creates a class system in Parliament whereby women to the nominated seats are somewhat second class. They might not have access to the real leadership positions within Parliament or even within the political party. And finally and most importantly, the nomination process for the special seats remains clouded in confusion and probably some corruption. On the legal framework, we also looked at the constitutional reform process and how this could really benefit women's participation moving forward in Tanzania. The country still operates under the 1977 framework, which really doesn't address gender policies. The draft constitution does make significant steps forward for women's participation and inclusion. And we really should give great support and congratulations to the civil society movement in Tanzania for really promoting women's inclusion in the constitutional process. This was the Coalition of Women and the Constitution which was an alliance of 50 civil society organizations that has worked tirelessly over the past year to ensure women were a part of the new draft constitution process. I would point out that the draft constitution currently pending includes 50 percent women's representation in parliament a pretty significant figure i also want to highlight our freedom to participate findings and this is where the real good news comes for these elections obviously it's great news for women in politics around the world to know that tanzania has its first female vice president so that's fantastic and i have to say the ccm was way out front on women's participation for the presidential process from the very beginning of the primary stage, with eight women originally vying for this seat, and two remaining in the top three candidates uh, for the primary level. So it was really an extraordinary time for women to make a leadership position at the highest levels of representative politics. Um, I also do want to point out that the Alliance for Change and Transparency (laughs) Party had a woman candidate running for president. She was a distant third, but there was, for the first time, a woman who was running on a full ticket, so that's also very good news. The numbers remain low, as I pointed out, for women in directly elected seats, and this is a problem that Tanzanian political parties will have to address. There are many factors that contribute to this. As I said, the nomination process is very vague. Every party has their own way of ensuring that women are either elected directly or part of the nominating process. There are certainly financial disincentives for women to participate, and we offer several recommendations about how to address that. And on the recommendations, we do provide uh, specific items for different stakeholders, including the National Election Commission and the Zanzibar Election Commission, which, by the way, we commend very much for their inclusion of a gender policy. Specifically, ZEC was way out front. They had a strategy for gender inclusion, and that's something we would work with NEC, hopefully, in the coming years to consider as well for the next round of elections. We recommend that they renew their efforts to ensure that information on voter registration and candidate registration is gender disaggregated. And we encourage them to partner more inclusively with civil society and civic education groups to implement women targeted voter education processes. We also have recommendations for political parties, again, specifically on the nomination process and also to establish a conflict resolution mechanism within parties when women want to object to the nomination process. We also ask them to consider waiving or reducing nomination fees for women candidates, which is prohibitive and really prevents many women from taking part in the process. The government of Tanzania deserves great credit for really approaching gender inclusivity throughout all levels of its administration and governing bodies. Um, we do cite, again, the neck, which has been very forthright in approaching gender policies. Civil society is a shining star for women's inclusivity in Tanzania. Our gender assessment team met with more than 16 representatives of civil society. And I have to say, in my long years of doing women's work in politics and developing democracies in countries around the world, I've been so impressed with what I saw recently in Tanzania. These women were on the ball and they've been successful. They've been successful in including a women's manifesto in most of the major campaigns for election, for president and for parliament as well. So it was an exciting campaign period to see that candidates were truly addressing issues that mattered to women in Tanzania. We also met some extraordinary individuals from the media sector, and I want to uh, point out the Tanzanian Media Women's Association, TAMWA, and the Tanzanian Media Council, which really are the leading front to ensure that the media is not only covering issues important to women, but covering women candidates equally. They're not just talking about so-called women issues, but they're asking women candidates real substantive questions. And they're really pushing this issue forward within the country we have some recommendations also for the international community and those obviously include a greater attention to these issues well before the year leading into elections but something that we should start considering right now as tanzania looks forward to its next elections in five years we will have the full report available on our website Starting next week, we're still waiting to get some final numbers in from the NEC for the local level elections. We don't have all of the women's numbers in for that yet, and so that will be finalized in our report. So I ask you to stay tuned to our website, www.iri.org to see the full gender assessment. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Gretchen. And now we're joined by one Sauce.
3: Wentz, are you there? Hi, good morning, everybody. Morning, hi. Yes, we we hear you. Do you have me? Yes, please go ahead. Thank you, yes, yes please. please. As you already know, my name is Gwen Mushi. I you know read my background. Currently I'm working with interviews now, RI and NDI. I do the media work. We are training journalists to promote peace journalism to promote gender balance and increase professionalism so that we can contribute to the democratic process that is unfolding in Tanzania. And I really think uh, Ambassador Green thought and the Gretchen I, 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 of Africa, their thoughts on what is happening in Tanzania. We in the media have been following very closely the development of the elections this year, they were quite intense and interesting. In fact, a lot more the public was involved. More people went out to vote compared to the past. And what we are seeing in Tanzania is a growing interest in actually putting the people at the center stage. Uh, the media has Traditions in terms of how we covered the elections, and uh, right now we're reviewing, and we're actually asking ourselves whether we did dealing with the expectations of the people. The thinking, generally, is that and we have done better, probably, than a season and twice, but there's still a lot to do. We still have to do We still have to train the journalists to focus on gender. To see that women are becoming a major force in the politics, of the country. and in Tanzania, as and, uh, and, uh, Gretchen said, there were issues which, if the media had been better placed to focus on, it probably would have seen a bigger force of women engaging in the elections and the politics generally. Uh, there is also a question of uh, professionalism. Uh, not all the media actually acted professionally. Some were more interested in carrying the, the, the rally campaign with rather than doing analysis, bringing out to the public what the message was, or bringing back to the candidates what the public wanted. And uh, I hope that in our trainings, as we continue you know, monitoring and working with the journalists, these this issues will be resolved and helped. To control the the democratic ground that is unfolding in Tanzania, we are also monitoring the media situation in Zanzibar, and we are happy to see that the people seem to be calm, actively waiting to see how everything will be resolved. Uh, It it means there is more maturity in Zanzibar now. There is patience, there is calm, and people we want peace. People are asking that issues be resolved so that development can continue and unity can be maintained in Zanzibar. And that's a good sign. And uh, it's also a good sign that the media is monitoring how the leaders are interacting and discussing the solutions to, to the crisis that is hit the by elections. We are waiting. Sometimes information is hard to come by, but we hope that uh, things will turn around after a few days from now uh so basically as uh, the media facilitated, the feeling is that we should make more we should do more and I can assure you we still need help in training our journalists to do better to do better in 2020 and well we will democrat enough. thank you very much Thank you once. Awesome. and
0: before we to start our discussion, I'd like to use the moderator's prerogative and uh, uh, call on an old friend of the Africa Center here and keen observer of Africa, journalist, analyst, who uh, comes to us fresh back from uh, Zanzibar, uh, Philip Van Niekerk, to give us a little bit of perspective and update from the field.
4: Just a few comments. I mean, we were there in a participation uh, not not, um, primarily to assist with the election, but working with the CUF, with the civic uh, united front, the main opposition party in Zanzibar, to help them frame a development agenda so that from day one, they would be in a position, if they won the election, and uh, became the the leading party in the government, of course it's a government of national unity either way, um, that they had a a very ambitious reform agenda, we were assisting them with that, um, with banking, oil and gas with um, an infrastructure fund and so on so just to sort of explain um, in a way our kind of involvement but i was there as an eyewitness um, through the whole period and uh, i'd just like to sort of present some kind of perspective of what it was like to actually be there and the first thing is that the election was was ex- was probably the best election zanzibar I've ever had it was it was um, done in a very very good atmosphere uh, there were no serious incidents, every single observer team, and there were a lot of observer teams there. People stacked Zanzibar. I mean, there was African Union, uh, East African community, SADC, Commonwealth, European Union. There wasn't NDIRI, but there was observers from the US and the UK. They were, they were all there, and they all agreed. This is, this is a great election. And um, the polls closed at 4 o'clock on this Sunday, and there's only 350,000 people voting in Zanzibar. So when we say, finish the count, in fact, the count was finished by Monday morning. And I think it was on that basis, and I just want to explain something, why the Cuff uh, took the decision to announce the result. Um, the count was done, every single polling unit had reported. Back to 1995, the Cuff has been in a position where um, elections have been held, um, results have been delayed, and at the end of the day, the results that they... Imagine at the beginning we're going to be uh, reported looked somewhat different at the end. And last time in 2010, um, the CCM won by 4,000 votes. Um, the, the initial count showed uh, Cuff to have been winners on the other side. So what they felt was put the results out, not just it wasn't a declaration of victory. We say these are the results that we got from the polling units. And these are the results by constituency, so that as the constituencies are announced by the ZEC, the international observers can compare those results and extrapolate and see how we arrived at the conclusion that we were winners. And there weren't huge winners. It was uh, 53 to 47%. Um, in terms of constituencies, it was 27-27. And either way, whatever the outcome of the election, it's a government of national unity. Um, that was the agreement after two, after the violence of 2005. They decided in 2010 to avoid a future situation like that. Um, whatever happened, the executive would include, uh, on a proportional basis, both CUF and CCM. It's just that whoever wins the election gets the presidency and the second vice-presidency. So that, in fact, is the difference. Now, um, the results were sort of coming out on Monday. And they were the, all, in all the CCM strongholds first. I mean, just to sort of give you an idea of the uh, breakdown, Ungucha, the, the main island, is more strongly CCM. Pemba is very strongly CUF. There's 18 constituencies in Pemba, and CF has won every single one of those going back to 1995. Um, <clears throat> so as the results were coming out, they were announcing the CCM strongholds first. And then on Tuesday, they kind of slowed down to a trickle. And some other, the commissioner kind of disappeared. Um, He wasn't to be seen, he complained of a headache, um, various other things. And on the Tuesday, on the Wednesday morning, uh, Malim Saif, the leader of CAF, went down to the electoral commission to find out, you know, they were at the Bawani Hotel, what's going on. And the commissioner disappeared completely. A few hours later, without consulting with any of his commissioners, he announces that due to irregularities, he's decided to to annul the election. Now, a couple of problems with that. First of all, one of the most concerning aspects of, and I don't think it's received enough coverage in the, in the, in the media is that the whole thing was heavily militarized. So um, uh, on the Tuesday night, for instance, uh, security forces, the Zanzibar security forces, not the, not the military, surrounded the CUF headquarters and kept the entire CUF leadership holed up, unable to leave or, or, or move. Uh, for the entire night. They didn't, they didn't, uh, they slept on the couches uh, in, at their headquarters. The next morning, the uh, security forces and the military surrounded the Bawani Hotel. And while the commissioner went uh, AWOL, the um, deputy commissioner, who's not a political appointee, but a fairly politically independent individual, was actually arrested and taken out by, by into custody by the police and not released until later in the day. So. The way the thing actually happened had this unfortunate um, aspect of force attached to it as well. Second point, which is absolutely fundamental to how we see the whole issue going forward, Um, if you look at the Constitution or you look at the Electoral Act, and I've done it myself, I'm not a lawyer, but the lawyers have looked at it, everybody's looked at it, the US ambassador, the British, everybody, there's no provision in it that allows the commissioner of ZEC to another election. It's an illegal act. It's not constitutional. So the whole thing hangs on a sort of threadbare, um, essentially um, illegal act, which is not able, which has not been able to even retroactively make a legitimate stand up. Um, the fact that he took the decision without consulting any of his other commissioners, and managed to rectify by having a subsequent meeting where they managed to get a quorum of the CCM leaning commissioners um, to sort of deal with that problem uh, and now they've gazetted uh, and confirmed the um, the the uh, that there will be another election but all of these sort of hang on the sort of on this one issue which is does the commissioner of the zec have the power to annul an election anybody can show me in the constitution where that where that power is given it would be uh, it would be very interesting and make a big difference. So the question is, how do we, how do we go forward? I mean, as we've been, uh, as, as, as has been said here, there are enormous um, diplomatic, political talks. Uh, the leaders of CCM and CF in Zanzibar have met several times. I'm aware that um, the previous president, uh, CCM president of Zanzibar, Mr. Karumi, has expressed himself very strongly on the subject ultimately saying, you know, there's one solution. I mean, you can have a talk, you can mediate as much as you like. There's really one solution, and that is to finish the tabulation. It's not the count, it's the tabulation of the results and announce the winner. Because that's the only way you can actually respect the democratic wishes of the people of Zanzibar who went to the polls expecting that their votes were going to be counted and their votes were going to be acknowledged. and At the end of the day, they were going to get a government of their choosing. So the thing could go, at this point, can go two ways. One is, it doesn't get resolved, it goes to another election. Cuff will not participate in another election. So that's not even on the cards. Um, But if the election goes ahead without Cuff, you're going to be left in a, I guess, in in an even deeper constitutional crisis. I don't see how that gets easily resolved. I mean, if it gets resolved, that's fine. But if it doesn't get resolved, and I want to say one thing that I was very, very impressed by, the maturity of the Cuff leadership. You know, there were times when, essence, when people were saying, go to the streets, you know, like, this is like completely outrageous, get the people sort of worked up. And the leadership of Cup said, no, no, we have to apply restraint. You know, this thing, there's been violence in previous election cycles in Zanzibar. We cannot allow the situation to get out of hand. We could have a bloodbath on our hands. And they've, they've consistently stuck to that position. And I think the outcome is, uh, what we've seen so far is actually very, very, very little violence or very little activity on the streets. And I, w- I was sort of walking backwards and forwards through these crowds, and I can tell you, particularly the young people, extremely, extremely angry. And I just want to leave you with one thought, which is, you know, a lot of young people voted for the first time. I think what's the, the median age in Zanzibar, like Tanzania, it's about 17. So this is it. They get their vote. They get they get to sort of um, participate in democracy. They go to the election, they go to the polls, they put their faith in the system, and the system turns around and says, "Well, we're just going to cancel what you did." Now, Zanzibar, the Cuff is an extremely moderate, liberal, pro-free enterprise kind of organization, but there are a lot of young people there who, having been denied the democratic option, might turn to less democratic options and might turn. To more militant ideologies, and I think that's really the problem going ahead. That that the, the deeper problem that uh, that Zanzibar has to face. That's right. Thank you.
0: Thank you very much, Phil, for that perspective. Now, open discussion. Uh, you raise your hand. There's a microphone. And wait for the microphone to come to you. And I'd ask, uh, uh, I'd uh, pose questions. Please identify yourself.
5: Uh, Hi, I'm uh, Alex Noyes, I'm a PhD student uh, at Oxford, and um, I'm looking at governments of national unity. So I've been following the Zanzibar situation through that perspective. And um, I'm just wondering, it was interesting to hear a bit more about the negotiations, because I know there hasn't been a lot of publicly available information on that. So I was wondering if the room, uh, the panelists or the room could comment a bit on how you see these negotiations happening, whether you see another GNU coming out of this, or perhaps, um, uh, as the gentleman here said. Uh, that it might be uh, um, either a rerun with tough with boycotting or, or other scenarios. So, thanks very much.
1: You know, I'm not sure that we know. Uh, the discussions are obviously going on uh, behind the scenes, and I don't think that's inappropriate for the discussions to be going on behind the scenes. The good news is, and, and Philip pointed to it, that so far this is being done peacefully. It's being done orderly, and that's the great positive in all of this. And as Philip laid out, the history of elections in Zanzibar is an interesting tale because, in recent elections, the last several elections, they've always been extraordinarily close, and the results have been uh, controversial at times. And so, I I think there's a lot of attention being paid and I think the pressure is beginning to ratchet up. One thing I will say is I don't think this gets better with time. And that's perhaps the great worry that pressure will continue to build from a number of different quarters. And so, um, it's hard to know exactly how uh, it will resolve itself, but it is... Crucial and again. I don't think the passage of time is uh, is helpful in this process. And I'm going to take a, a point of personal privilege as well. I, I'd like to briefly introduce to the folks who are here a couple of people that I worked with in various capacities in Africa. General Ward, was uh, general of Africom when I was uh, in Tanzania. And it's good to see you again. And my good friend John Lang, who was ambassador to Botswana and was chargé in Tanzania. Uh, during that terrible, difficult time of the embassy bombing, so John, it's good to see you and good to have you here.
0: Thank you, the ambassador.
6: <clears throat> Thank you, Peter. I asked for this opportunity to speak. First of all, to express my sincere, sincere gratitude for getting this opportunity of. Uh, getting here, joining you, Atlantic Council, in this uh, wonderful conversation about our country on the key issue of democracy. Uh, I think, uh, my brother, Ambassador McGreen and uh, Gretchen. Uh, what you have said, you have been very fair, I would say. Uh, you were very fair in the way you presented the facts about your country. One might differ about your opinion on what is going on, but uh, what is key is that you are fair on the facts. Uh, Tanzania is uh, currently going through a very critical uh, time after election in view of what is going on in Zanzibar. Uh, everybody is concerned. Zanzibar is part of the United Republic of Tanzania. We cannot say we are done with the general election when uh, Zanzibar is not completely done. And uh, uh, when we hear people take interest in our country, in uh, the government of the United States of America, the people of America, key NGOs like international, Republican Institute, the so, Council working uh, on uh, what is going on and coming up with recommendations. which you have promised us to give us the recommendation. I must assure you now that uh, our members will work with you to make sure that all the recommendations that we have been able to come up with are conveyed to all the stakeholders. We know you as our partners, you want us to succeed. As the Ambassador McQueen rightly said, Tanzania is an exciting opportunity. And we want to take this opportunity to turn these challenges into an opportunity because that's what you are here. You cannot promote trade and investment when the country is not at peace. And you cannot claim the country is at peace when there is no justice. And democracy will justice goes well. And that's why we are happy that the general direction that we have just uh, completed, we are free and fair. Our president is busy, working on a new government. The parliament will come up with a speaker, and then we will set ourselves. And the good thing is, I'm happy to hear uh, the eyewitness, I was not in Zanzibar. I cannot challenge him.
2: These are my eyewitnesses.
6: <laughs> I was not there. He said what he saw. Many people saw. But uh, we are happy. The current president of Zanzibar and the first vice president, Reformad, are meeting. And when people are talking, it's a good sign. Yes. Certainly, a solution will be will come out, which will will taking. Uh, into account the interests of all Zanzibaris and all Tanzanians. Because our our interest is a peaceful coexistence. With a president, to us, is not important. I have a political background. I was in parliament for 15 years and I chaired the Foreign Affairs, Defense and Security Committee. And in that capacity, I was assigned by the parliament to make an inquiry in Zanzibar and Pemba when CUF raised a motion in parliament that they were mistreated fair by the Zanzibar government. I was able to learn a lot of things in Zanzibar. Zanzibar is a special environment with a special history. Zanzibar requires patience. Zanzibar requires support. And I'm glad you are giving that support, particularly the the government of the United States of America. They are giving us support. And they are promising more. If more support will be required. And more encouraging indeed, International Republic is also giving support. Atlantic Council, you are giving support. This is welcome. And I assure you my cooperation, as I, I said at the beginning, we work very closely with you and the gentlemen around here, distinguished participants. Because, you know, when you talk of corruption, it's a, a big problem. We cannot deny that. It was a campaign issue every candidate was promised to fight corruption. We are looking forward to the continued fight. When I was in government, we were fighting corruption. I was honored and privileged to be be the minister for good (coughs) governance. I didn't finish the job. It's continuing. Corruption is fought even in America. It's fought everywhere. It's a challenge. But we cannot say, let us stay with corruption, because it's everywhere. We have to get to zero trust corruption. They use want employment. You cannot have employment when there is corruption much as the country of employment, when there is violence. When I got into this room, I met young men and women here who work on the rule of law in the center of uh, governance in the Institute of, American Institute of Peace. I was encouraged. They have visited our country. They know our country. At least they can also compare the special circumstances which Tanzania exists in this globe with the United States of America, and be able to help the youth, and we are grateful to President Obama's initiative to develop the youth leadership in Africa. He's advising us that what is important is not great leaders, but great institutions. If you don't have a strong, fair electoral commission, you'll be in trouble. So you see what is going on now. The electoral commission in Zanzibar is at the center of the talk. Everybody was saying it should be independent. Discussions are done behind the scenes. We are out there, we want to know. Otherwise, what to, how do you talk about something we don't know? You can imagine the situation I'm in now. I was supposed to give the answers, but I'm not giving you the answers. <laughs> so pray for us, pray for Tanzania, work for, with us so that we, we save through all these problems peacefully and continue to develop our country. Thank you for your attention. Thank you very much, Mr. Ambassador. <laughs>
0: uh, the back there, Malik. Uh,
6: my question, my question has to do with the fact that the uh, annulling of the election has been gazetted. Uh, the position is being taken by the uh, government, in Zanzibar <clears throat> and the government on the main line, uh, according to press reports that it's a a done deal. I'd like to ask Ambassador Mark Green, does he think that, and perhaps also the Tanzanian ambassador to the US, is this something that can be walked back? If this is something that can be reconsidered on the basis of negotiations and the facts on the ground as they unfolded?
1: Malik, what I can say is I think the US Embassy and Dar Salam Salaam has been very clear in its position that there needs to be a recalling of the nullification. Now whether or not that's the precise legal maneuver, I think the position of the U.S. Government uh, is pretty clear that the nullification is, uh, should be rescinded, recalled, turned over and quite frankly I agree with that uh, as to whether or not it can be in Tanzanian law I'll leave it to the ambassadors far more expert than I am in Tanzanian law, but I think clearly the position of the U.S. government is that votes should be counted, that a process which observers had said was proceeding orderly and in a uh, fair manner, that that should be fulfilled.
6: Thank you, Ambassador Agri. I'm a lawyer by profession, much as I'm a politician as well. That's why I said that should require my interest before I speak. <laughs> I also belong to the ruling party. That one direction, in the union election. The law, the law as it's depletes, is not a dispute. Nobody is protesting the law. And the, actually, the law is usually contested in the court of law. No matter has been put before the court of law, except the cyber case issue. That's, where, that's what is before the court. And I didn't want to address it when I rose in the first place because it's a matter before the court, and I can't comment on that. And I don't have facts on it. With regard to Zanzibar, you have to get the facts first because you have to apply the law to the facts. I recall my professor at the George Washington University Law School when I was here more than 20 years ago here. He warned us that if you want to be a good analyst and to come up with a well-reasoned judgment, you must first be clear on the facts. Otherwise, how do you apply the law when you don't have the facts? So you can't put the cuts before the horse. We must first know what exactly happened. The commissioner, the chairman of the ZEC, this is hearsay. And hearsay is unloved. <laughs> He's saying people were fighting each other. The commissioners were fighting each other. But when you recall the history of the Zanzibar Electoral Commission, it is constituted by two parties CCM, my ruling party, and the CUF, Civic United Front members. As They were trying to find a compromise with the aim of coming up with a government of national unity. But there are many parties, more than 20. Others are complaining, why are we not part of this electoral commission? So, when you have a tug of war on the facts, and a tug of war on the structure of the electoral commission, that's why I was saying, please, why don't we be patient until you get the facts? And then we will see which law will apply there. If the chairman of the Zanzibar Electoral Commission decided by himself to turn himself a, a madman, that is a simple case, a criminal offense. It has nothing to do with the election because if you are supposed to work with the commission, it is simple. The constitution, the commission is constituted by members and the chairman. And what applies in your meetings is through deliberations. Uh, you have been a chairman for many times, and uh, a chairman who dictates terms on members, whom we are supposed to die, it is not a chairman. We expect deliberations. We expected democratic procedures to be able to come up with a decision. That's why I'm avoiding the issue of the law here, because the facts are not there. We are waiting for the facts. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Mr. Ambassador. You've shown yourself not only a lawyer and a politician, but also a diplomat. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.
7: Thank you. Gil Capen, American Jewish International Relations Institute. Mark, I wonder if you could uh, maybe give us your thoughts on whether you thought the election might affect uh, 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 Tanzania's foreign policy. And if not, if you can say a little bit about the relationship with the US, with China, with other important countries, and how cooperative Zanzibar is with us at the UN, on peacekeeping, et cetera, thanks.
1: Uh, thanks for the question, Gil. Uh, first off, U.S. Tanzania relations are very strong. Uh, when I was ambassador, every time I would see President Kikwete, he would say, "Our relations are better today than they were yesterday," and every time he would mean it. So I think it uh, there is a a long history of close cooperation on a wide range of development challenges and security challenges, and so. Uh, and I was going to say to the ambassador, I think you can tell you're among friends. Uh, everyone here is a friend of Tanzania and believes very much in the country's future. Uh, Tanzania has been a strong contributor to peacekeeping efforts. One of my favorite photographs from President Bush's historic visit in 2008 was a class of trainees uh, from the Okoda uh, <clears throat> training operation, posing with President Bush in front of Air Force One, and that was a sign of the deep commitment that the two countries share to peacekeeping and security, and so I think that uh, is a very important part of the relationship. So I, I, I think that remains strong. I will say, uh, again, and you could go to the U.S. Embassy website, uh, U.S. Embassy in Dar es Salaam, I think Ambassador Childress, who I think is doing a very good job um, in his current role, I think uh, the U.S. Embassy has been clear over its concerns given the current situation with respect to the elections in Zanzibar, and secondly with um, the uh, crackdown on uh, these two civil society groups, the, the Human Rights Group as, um, as well as one of the accredited election observers So uh, this is hopefully a matter that will be resolved soon because the relationship is very important to both sides and we all hope we'll continue down that path of getting stronger and closer as we go. But I do think you've seen from the US Embassy that it views the current crisis on Zanzibar as a significant one and, and one that does need to be addressed.
0: Oh, Thank you for the presentation. Uh, my name is James Cohen uh, from the U.S. Institute of Peace and thank you Mr. Ambassador for the reference to our conversation earlier. Um, on, that situ- or on the topic of, as you said, governance corruption, um, citing your statistics of uh, population saying 52% see corruption is getting worse, I was wondering if there was a breakdown on that of are there specific issues that the population sees as priorities that need to be resolved and where do you see uh, the government going at post-election in uh, addressing specific sectors, specific issues, or even uh, system-wide issues of governance? Thank you.
1: So the matter of corruption. First off, the ambassador is very correct. Corruption is hardly a problem, only affecting Tanzania, every country in the world, has challenges of corruption to different degrees. What I always said as ambassador, and I continue to say to my Tanzanian friends today, is look, I'm not saying we've got all the answers as Americans. I'm saying maybe we've made all the mistakes. And maybe as friends you don't have to make the same mistakes that we made over the years. Uh, On the issue of corruption, um, uh, my sense is it's pervasive. It is uh, in many sectors and at many levels. And this, again, as is expressed by Tanzanians themselves. Um, The Millennium Challenge Corporation, as you know, um, uh, knock on wood, there will be a second contact with Tanzania. I I think the issues that we're here talking about today weigh in on that. um, And so it is not quite certain. But uh, Tanzania has uh, taken steps to try to address corruption. I think that they would tell you very readily, as you heard from the ambassador, it is an unfinished work. There's much more work that needs to be done. In terms of what the new government will do, of course, we cannot know. The Ministers aren't in place. But at least uh, anecdotally, a couple of signs, early signs from the new president are encouraging. Uh, The president has spoken openly about the need to take on corruption. And I think the, uh, the uh, uh, unscheduled visit of the government hospital is just one sign of that. Uh, you know, look, the government of Tanzania understands, just as the ambassador has said, corruption saps a country of its economic strength. It holds its people back. They don't get to enjoy the fruits of their labor. For the fruits of a country's resources. So uh, I think part of what our poll reflects is that people demand answers on corruption. And I think what you're seeing in the early steps from the new administration is a recognition that yes, corruption is a serious issue. Precisely what steps will be taken, obviously those are for the Tanzanians to choose but I think, again, as friends of Tanzania, we're all very hopeful. A new administration is always an opportunity for hopefulness looking forward. Good afternoon. My name is Scott Morgan. Thank you for an excellent presentation.
7: My question
1: kind of ties into what Gil said. Regarding the elections and we've seen how the Elections in earlier this year in Burundi have gone haywire. Elections coming up soon in both Uganda and the DRC. Why why do you not think that there's a sense of urgency to get what
7: the elections in Zanzibar right, to get this resolved so it doesn't add any further regional instability?
0: I think it's a question, perhaps, it's a very good question. Thank you for asking the question. is a very deep one, I think. Uh, Maybe what we'll do is get our own a chance to weigh in on
2: it. Thank sure, you. Thank you. I do think there is a sense of urgency, and I think uh, Mark alluded to that, that um, each day goes by, the tension builds very much. Um, it has so far been very peaceful in Zanzibar, and we hope that it continues that way. We certainly don't want this to be a model for anywhere else in Africa. Uh, you referenced some very important countries with elections coming up. Uh, there have been some bad models recently in Africa, and so um, our hope is that the case won't be that way for Tanzania.
1: Um, I'll address the question by pointing to something that, that Philip said that's very important. Uh, Africa is a young continent. median age is instead of the Tanzania, 17, of Uganda, is 16. There were 5 million first-time voters in these elections in Tanzania. All across the continent we're seeing young Africans emerging into decision-making roles at at, at a crossroads. Uh, I think this is a a historically important time for the entire continent and uh, its democratic path. At IRI, we recently launched something inspired by Mo Ibrahim called Generation Democracy, trying to create a global network, but particularly in Africa, of young people coming together to try to do peer-to-peer sharing and looking for constructive engagement in democratic institutions. Uh, The way that I view it, as uh, young people come into their voting years, there are two ways to participate. One is inside the tent, which is going and voting and playing a constructive role in the public debate or remaining on the outside, which is not good for anyone, obviously. And so I think it is very important that, and the reason that we're gathered here today, and there's so much attention being paid to this, how these issues get resolved, and whether young people in Tanzania and elsewhere look at the system of multi-party democracy and competitive elections as a system that they can believe in, as a system that they want to participate in, I think there are a few issues more important, certainly with respect to Africa, but I would argue globally. It's extraordinarily important that people have an opportunity to weigh in, to participate constructively institu- in institutions and have their vote counted and their voice heard.
0: uh, Again, thank you for the excellent question. I think the point, uh, and I agree with both uh, what Gretchen said and what Mark said, as important as this is, unfortunately, uh, although we've put a lot of rhetoric into it as Americans, uh, we haven't really put the substance that we should, you know, uh, when it comes down to it. Now, to be fair, uh, during the Bush administration was uh, extraordinary in its relationship to Africa. Uh, foreign assistance to Africa quadrupled from when time President Bush came into office and when he left. And to the credit of the, the Obama administration, despite the downturn, despite cuts around the globe, Africa's remained more or less, give or take, rounding errors, more or less at the same quadrupled level of foreign assistance, steady, not great increases, steady, That was bequeathed by by the Bush Bush administration. That itself is an achievement in these fiscal times. But within that pot of money, the amount of money that we're willing to invest as a nation in governance, democracy, and others, especially in Africa. U.S. aid funding for democracy activities in Africa, and here, since I'm not an IRI, I'll make the shameless plug for you, Mark, uh, and I see uh, Dave Pierce from NIT, uh, there is the we've, US aid funding for the support work of democratization and good governance in Africa has actually fallen about 40 plus percent during the Obama administration. So, granted, there have been many other demands, other crises, and the overall foreign assistance to Africa has remained level. The fact that democracy funding has dropped that dramatically. You know, I, I think something that I think the Congress and the administration very seriously needs to reconsider, uh, especially given the, the important elections coming up in the next 12 to 18 months across the continent. Ambassador Lange. Uh
7: Thank you, very interesting presentation. Uh, Tanzania historically has really played an outsized role uh, in both in Africa and on the global stage, uh, beginning with and Nyerere and the non-aligned movement. Uh, President Kikwete, uh, of course, as a former foreign minister, was quite active in in leadership roles in the African Union, the African Leaders Malaria Alliance. He chairs the UN Secretary General's high-level panel, uh, on uh, the response to the Ebola crisis, that we'll be issuing a report shortly. What do you see Tanzania's future role in, in this regard? Do you think that uh, uh, President Magufuli is going to be more domestically focused because uh, of his reputation? I think his nickname is the bulldozer, and uh, and really trying to change things domestically. Or do you think he will continue in that uh, broad global or an Africa-wide role?
1: You know, I'm not sure, John, that I'm uh, qualified really to answer. Um, Again, I think that the cabinet is obviously still coming together and still being formed. Tanzania has always played an outside role, as you know, uh, firsthand. (laughs) I think there are so many values and principles that the U.S. and Tanzania share. It's hard for me to see Tanzania pulling back from its engagement with the U.S. on many of these challenges that are affecting not just Tanzania, but the region and the globe. Uh, I think President Kikwete, you're right, uh, had a a very personal interest. I think in some ways his great triumph, his (coughs) legacy, may be his involvement in taking on issues of particularly global health. Uh, As we've discussed before, when I arrived in Tanzania, uh, President kikwete had just, uh, he and his wife were publicly tested for AIDS. That they actually had themselves tested publicly to basically say to every Tanzanian, do this, look, I'm doing it. I can tell you, there was a very interesting uh, set of numbers that I saw. Prior to his doing that, it was actually quite poor participation. Immediately afterwards, its fight It was quite extraordinary. Even AIDS workers who knew better and should have been tested, weren't tested until they saw President Kikwete. So I think in many ways, that will be his great legacy. I think he accelerated uh, the capacity of Tanzania to take on its own health challenges. As you know very well, The progress that's been made, interestingly, on Zanzibar in particular, in fighting malaria is very impressive and I think remains a model for, certainly, uh, Africa, if not much, of the world. In terms of what the new president will do and what he will craft as his legacy, that's up to him. We'll see as things go forward. But uh, I think the cooperation that the two countries have uh, uh, shared and enjoyed in, in uh, over these many years, I, I certainly hope and believe that it will continue. And now a man who's far more qualified to talk about
6: it. Thank you. I will not take much of it. Just to confirm what uh, my friend, uh, my brother, Ambassador putagina said, he believes, but I want to say, I am sure that uh, what uh, His Excellency President Quote uh, was doing will continue to be done by the current president. And I talked to our new president. He has instructed me to continue what I was instructed to do by President Kikwete. So I'm sure no more changes, no more change. There could be changes in style, but surely the, the good uh, uh, relations that exist between Tanzania, United Republic of Tanzania, United States of America will continue. It's a, it's a partnership which is based on mutual trust, uh, respect, and good faith. We have benefited a great deal. I can't list the benefits we have benefited since President Bush, uh, Obama, and what we continue to work on in collaboration with the government of the United States of America. And now with the International Republic Institute coming on board stronger in the Atlantic Council certainly on my embassy and my embassy staff, I'm accompanied by my co- my, my assistants here, we, work, we increase most, m- more effort in strengthening the existing good relations between our two countries. Thank you so much. Thank,
0: Thank you, Mr. Ambassador. I would just add in a quick segue to the question, I think uh, what you, well, you identify as something, something that, I think, I think a lot of, af- with, with the increased democratization in Africa, is a t- healthy tension that, elected, le- democratically elected leaders are gonna face. On the one hand, they have to be accountable to their electorates, which will mean that they have to focus uh, heavily on the, the things that drive their electorates. in the case of Tanzania and President food certainly the corruption issue that was very big in voters' minds, as identified by the polls. Uh, in the Nigerian elections earlier this year, corruption and uh, the Boko Haram challenge, so whatever is, pre- at the same time, in the Africa that is evolving and emerging, is increasingly an Africa that's knit together. You can't focus exclusively on your, inter, even if your agenda is the economy, without looking at the neighborhood and the larger community, and certainly in, in Tanzania, you're part of the East Africa community, which is one of the fastest integrating regions in Africa, with the heads of state meeting and the number of barriers they've lowered. So in many respects, it's going to be a healthy tension that leaders will face going forward. They will have to focus more and more in uh, inward on the demands of their electorate, but to satisfy those, they also have to fo- uh, reach outward. So it's going to be, I think, an ongoing dynamic. General Ward,
5: sir. Well, again, I, I killed Ward uh here as the president of CENTEL Corporation, but my role as the normal commander of AFRICOM uh, keeps me most interested in all things Africa. And uh, Mark, thank you. Gretchen, you as well. And Phil, thanks for your comments. Uh, uh, one quick question, and while I think all of you know my great appreciation for, for all things with respect to uh, developments in the country, obviously I have a keen interest in the perception of the role that the security forces played in this election and the perception not from you, but the perception that you may have gained that the, the people of Tanzania and Zanzibar had and whatever role that was played by the security forces. When I say security forces, that's a big gamut. Not just the army, but also the police forces. And uh, Philip, I, I appreciate the comment that you made, what's going on in Zanzibar. Because as we look at democratization across the continent, and given the role that these militaries and security forces have played on the continent, uh, many times negative roles. I'm just interested to see how that may have progressed because that was the subject of many conversations between Pres. Kikwenski and myself, as well as Mark, you know, when we were doing what we did there in support of helping to professionalize the continued professionalization of the armed forces of Tanzania. Thank you.
1: Kip, of course, you're right. Um, Something that I remember from my days as a Congressman, uh, when General Powell was serving as Secretary of State, and there was a uh, deployment of American forces to West Africa, and he came to talk with us, and I said, General Powell, tell me how I tell my constituents in Bondiwell, Wisconsin, that we're sending young men and young women to a fairly remote area in West Africa. And something that he said to me really struck home. He said, look, understand that the American military is one of the few militaries in the world that is not designed to protect the government from its people. Most are. And what we do in our exchanges, in our trainings, in our policies and relationships is to help professionalize and bring under civilian command militaries in many parts of the world. the African Command, AFRICOM, has played an extraordinarily important role in professionalizing and bringing these civilian principles to many parts of Africa in terms of its military. And it is a vitally important function. It is, in, first off, not only in line with our own view of the role that the military should play, but it also hopefully creates scenarios in which people can have greater faith in Africa, in their military. That the military isn't partisan, that the military doesn't take side in elections. Instead, it is under, under the command of whoever emerges from uh, voting. And so that work obviously needs to continue. Uh, I support it very much. I think it is a, a vital, important role. Um, you know, there obviously there were some disturbing stories. The good news is I think we're in a situation today where things are orderly and peaceful and hopefully soon to be resolved. But uh, anytime, anywhere that the military gets involved in the elections one way or the other, it's a bad thing. It is counter to, obviously, uh, the stated purpose of the military. It's also counter to competitive elections and the multi-party democracy that we all believe in.
7: If there are
0: no more questions, I'd like to, on behalf of our uh, partners, the International Republic Institute uh, and the Atlantic Council, to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedules at the end this week to join us for this discussion. Uh, it's been a great discussion and I think uh, a uh, very constructive for not only Tanzania, but U.S.-Tanzanian relations uh, going forward, so thank you very much. Thank you.